Stay tuned for a word from the Lord. There's been quite a buildup over the years about this thing called Christmas. Singing snowmen, Santa, Christmas trees, presents, Christmas music, presents, reindeer, beautiful lights, presents, decorations with red bows. Just driving to work the other day, I began to notice the wreaths everywhere on most front doors, on businesses, on telephone poles, on light poles, even on the doors and windows of our church. For some of us, Christmas is our favorite time of year. It's wonderful. And although we get sentimental about this time of year, the buildup is not always as wonderful as we hope. Overindulging can take its toll on our family lives. As a nine-year-old boy wrote in his third grade class after returning to school after the Christmas holidays, he wrote, I know Christmas should be a religious time, but to me, Christmas is a time for the necessities of life, such as food, presents, and booze. That's third grade. Another boy wrote, after breakfast we go into the sitting room, dad comes in drunk with mom's stockings on, wearing an Indian hat. I laughed too at first, but then I started thinking about that. (laughs) For some, this season represents overspending. As Nikki Gumbel writes, they buy presents so that others do not need with money they do not have. And what happens the day after Christmas? The stores are lined up with people returning gifts they don't want to keep. For others, Christmas can be over-demanding. They have expectations heaped on them from others about what they're supposed to do or buy, and if that doesn't happen, well, Christmas is not a very pleasant experience. For others, Christmas is one of the worst times of the year. Suicide rates go up. More people die during this time of year from natural causes. Mental and emotional issues arise or occur. Marriages come apart. Family reunions end up, end up starting family fights, which last for years. For others, this is the first Christmas without a loved one because of death, divorce, or distance-related work. And let us not forget the members of our armed forces who are right now in harm's way celebrating Christmas a long way from family and friends on our behalf. So I want to ask you this evening, with all the sentimentalism and all the buildup and all the emotional stuff, could we be missing the point? Could we be missing what Christmas is really all about? C.S. Lewis wrote, At Christmas we remember the central event in the history of the earth, the very thing the whole story has been about. The point of Christmas is Jesus Christ. As the saying goes, which we've heard floated about for the past few years, Jesus is the reason for the season. At Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of the most important person who ever lived. He's the centerpiece of civilization. I mean, after all, what we called before his birth, B.C., before Christ, and after his birth, A.D., in the year of our Lord, or at least we did until a few years ago, but we've gathered tonight to remember and to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, for that's what Christmas is all about. But do we know that it's true? After all, 
It's filled with miraculous and incredulous events. A young virgin woman having a baby. Angels speaking and singing. A star in the night leading the way. Fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies which were hundreds of years old. Sounds pretty amazing. It is amazing. The claims of Christianity can be tested because it's an historical faith. It's based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's based on historical evidence. This is one reason we even started celebrating Christmas some 1,600 years ago. Our celebration tonight would be a vacuum without the history before us. Because of the life, the teaching, the claims, the death, the resurrection of this baby that we remember here tonight, it's what it's all about. Jesus claimed to be the unique Son of God, which meant he was on an equal footing with God. Jesus understood that he had authority to forgive sins. Who can do that? God. Jesus said that he would one day judge the world and that it would matter how we responded to him in this life on how we were judged. He made many claims which emphasized his divinity. I and my Father are one. The words that I speak are not just mine, but my Father's. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. Incredible claims. Yet some people say he was just a good religious teacher. Some people say he was a fine moral example. Some people say he was even a moral genius. Again, hear the words of C.S. Lewis. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't just be a great moral teacher. He would either be insane or else he would be the devil of hell. He writes, you must make the choice. Either Jesus was and is the Son of God, or else he was insane or evil. But let us not come up with some patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Lewis nails it. By the life he lived, by the teaching he gave, by the miracles he performed, and ultimately his command over death with the resurrection, Jesus demonstrated the divine again and again and again. In her book, Letters to Santa, Carol Schlotterbeck examined the content of thousands of letters which were mailed to Santa by children. She says the notes were scrawled or painstakingly handwritten on every type of paper, Every shade of ink. Many were decorated with drawings and stickers or glitter. Some children gave Santa not only their addresses, but their phone numbers, parents' cell phone numbers, and their school pictures. <laughs> Kids asked for toys and gifts and pets. One boy asked for a golden retriever and had the word please 16 times in his letter. She said about every third request from a child had the word, no clothes. 
One child on pink paper in beautiful cursive writing asked for a mom. She wrote, not just for me, but for my daddy, brother, and granny. My daddy works so hard, and then he comes home to cook and clean, and it should be easier. As cute and heartwarming as these Santa stories are, it reminds me that we often are looking in the wrong place for our answers and our needs in life. Children in Santa. The rest of us in our careers or our relationships or our bank accounts or our portfolios. And for us church people and too often in religion. Christmas reminds us that God has come among us and desires relationship with us. He alone can satisfy the meaning and purpose and hunger in life. He alone can satisfy our hunger and need for what it's meaning and what it's all about. And He alone can give us forgiveness of our sins. God became flesh and He dwelt among us. He entered into the human experience for a purpose, to draw the human race into relationship with Himself. His life, his miracles, his death, and his resurrection are all invitations to the world. When the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, he meant for all the people, not for just a few select Middle Easterners in the first century, but for every person on every continent in every age, God desires a relationship. Why would God have to go to so much trouble? I mean, after all, he's God. That's precisely why he went to so much trouble, because he is God, and we're not. Actually, it's our sinfulness that gets in the way. Every time you lie, every time you cheat, Every time you steal, every time you lust, every time you get drunk, every time you get stoned, every time you sin, there's a barrier put between you and God. Because he's holy. And his holiness forbids him from communing with sin. And so what God did in bringing this baby into the world was to make a way for us humans in our sinfulness to have relationship with him. When Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, he literally took on him our sins. His blood sacrificed became the medicine for our sickness. It became the ointment which heals our wounds. It became the doorway for a relationship with God. As the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you, He is the Messiah the Lord. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10, 45. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. In John 15, 13, he said this, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. In giving his life, Jesus is in essence saying, All of your wrongs I'm putting on myself. Every sin you've committed, I take it as my own. The Apollo in his letter to the Galatians said, The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I recently read this statement. God loves you because of who God is, not because of anything you did or didn't do. God loves you because of who God is, 
not because of anything you did or didn't do. This is what the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is saying to the world and to you and to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, for my sin. Friends, this is what Christmas is all about. This is why after all these years, we gather in a church to remember the birthday of a baby born to a Jewish peasant girl some 2,000 years ago. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And yet, I have to ask this question. Why is it that so few of us accept his offer? Why is it that so few of us take him up on this gift he's given us? For some, it's a lack of knowledge. Some people just really don't understand it. We Christians have done a lousy job explaining the story of Jesus and how he's affected our lives. So some people just don't understand it. For others, they don't believe it because they've seen our lives and our hypocrisy. I'll be the first to say that none of us are perfect and that we all sin, even as believers. I mess up all the time. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. (laughs) But when our lives are more filled with the fruit of the flesh than with the fruit of the Spirit, people have a right to question the truth of our faith. I mean, after all, would you describe your life as being more filled with the fruit of the flesh, which Galatians says, arguing, discord, jealousy, sexual immorality and lust, pornography, fits of rage, selfish ambition, materialism, drunkenness, superstition, lack of boundaries? Would that describe your life or the fruit of the Spirit? which Galatians also tells us, which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and the last one, self-control. I'm afraid that too often those of us who call ourselves believers, our personal love of sin and addiction to its lure gets in the way of many people's ability to look at Jesus. Others don't buy into it. They don't accept this gift of God because they say, basically, I don't have a need for God. They're content with their life the way it is. They like the way things are going. They're happy without God and without this Christian thing. They fail to recognize that their greatest need is not happiness, but forgiveness. As Nikki Gumbel, the founder of Alpha, writes, we all need forgiveness. Without forgiveness, we are in serious trouble. For God is not only our loving Father, He's also a righteous judge. You see, either we receive God's forgiveness and His gift to us, or we will pay the price ourselves for what we've done wrong. Others don't accept this incredible gift of the Lord because, as they put it, there's too much to give up. I've noticed from the day I yielded my life to the Lord, that there are times when he puts his finger on something in my life and says, okay, give it up. It's wrong. 
it's hurting you or it's hurting somebody else. And sometimes it's a struggle and sometimes it's rather easy to not give up something. You, you want to hold on to it. For some people, they know that God is going to, be, to put his finger on some things in their lives and they're not willing to give them up. What they don't realize is this, that God loves us and he'll only ask us to give up things that will harm us. When my kids were little, I wouldn't let them run around with scissors in their hands because I know that eventually they would fall and get hurt. My daughter, Rebecca, when she was about three years old, she used to to like to climb the kitchen cabinets. I found out tonight why, because she liked the cookies. We tried to stop her from doing that, but it wasn't until after she fell and she broke her arm that she got the message. God loves us. And he'll only ask us to give up things which bring us harm. Another thing is these folks don't realize that what we give up is nothing compared to what we receive. This is true for habits of sin. It's true financially. It's true relationally. And definitely true spiritually. The cost of not becoming a Christian is far greater than the cost of becoming a Christian. Another thing is that people think that God might ask us to give up something and, and they don't realize that it's really nothing compared to what he gave up on the cross. Another one, some people won't accept God's gift because they feel there must be a catch. They've been told all their life, and it's often true, that nothing is free in this life. So there must be some trap or, or catch. But what they fail to realize is that although it's free for us who believe, it was not free to Jesus. He paid in blood. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become righteous before God. Some won't accept this gift because of fear, fear of God. One of our missionaries, Kurt Little, who's down in Bolivia, wrote this in his blog this week. He said, Most of us get scared when we think about a face-to-face relationship with God. We want to worship God, but at a safe distance. We don't want too much of his presence because when we're in his presence, we realize who we really are. We see ourselves as God sees us. We see our faults. We see all our junk. And that scares us. And then lastly, others won't accept this gift because they feel they're not good enough. And they're correct. (laughs) Because none of us are good enough. My son James has a truck, and when he was in high school, he used to love to go with some of his friends and go four-wheeling in mud holes. You can just picture that. He had a white truck. He'd come back and just be covered in mud. Well, one afternoon, I received a call from James. Dad, I'm stuck. The truck won't run. And so I arrive at the place, and sure enough, there are several trucks out there stuck in the middle of this huge mud hole. Well, there's no way to get to his truck without getting muddy. I mean very muddy, not just ankle-deep muddy. I'm talking about thigh-high muddy. The only way to get to that truck was to get into the mud. And that's what God has done for us in his birth. How much more could he say it? Leaving his glory in heaven to be born in the mess of childbirth, living among the mess humanity has made, and then dying on a messy, ugly, dirty cross? 
None of us is good enough. And that's why he came. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Is he your Savior? Is he your Messiah? Is he your Lord? Perhaps you're like one of the people I described, and you've not accepted his gift. Perhaps you once had a relationship with the Lord, but now it's distant. The Lord seems alien to you. What better time to get right with the Lord, to accept his gift for you, than on Christmas Eve? What better time to make things right? It's an act of faith. When someone gives you a Christmas present in the morning, you're going to reach out your hands and accept in faith that there's something in that package for you. You're going to express some faith. It's the same with the Lord. Now, people take this act of faith all kinds of ways. But here's one way to keep it really simple. I'm sorry. Thank you. Please. I'm sorry. That's asking God to forgive you for all the things you've done in your life and turning from everything you know is wrong. The Bible calls that repentance. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you is believing Jesus died on the cross and thanking him for that. Thanking him that he died for you, for your sins. Thanking you, thanking him for forgiveness and that he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And please, is inviting him to live within you by his Spirit. God's the perfect gentleman and he's never going to knock down the door of your life. He's never going to bust his way into your life. He's a, he's a gentleman. And if you ask, he comes. I'm sorry, thank you, please. Well, it's Christmas Eve. We're celebrating the birth of a baby, a baby who lived, a baby who died on a cross, a baby who now lives, a baby who's the divine son of God and who says to you, come, I want a relationship with you. What better time than Christmas Eve to get right with the Lord? If that's the desire of your heart, which it may or may not be, I want to invite you to pray after me silently. And I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And I'd like us all just to bow our heads, and if, if this is the, the prayer of your heart, pray silently after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life. And maybe some specific things are coming to your mind. Just say you're sorry for those. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please, Lord, Come into my life by the Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. It's that time of year again when a word from the Lord evaluates the effectiveness of the broadcast. So if you would like to continue to hear a word from the Lord, please contact us with the call letters of the station where you hear our broadcast. You can contact Foley directly at foleybeach at a wordfromthelord.org. 
or you can write to us. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Remember to include the call letters of the station. Thank you for listening to A Word from the Lord. If you would like to get a copy of today's message and the entire series, please visit us and order online at awordfromthelord.org. That's awordfromthelord.org. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Again, the address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. If you have any comments or questions, please email Foley at foleybeach at a word for the Lord.org. His email address again is foleybeach at a word for the Lord.org. Thank you again for joining us for this broadcast of A Word from the Lord. We hope you'll tune us in again this same time next week. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, I'm Jeremy Coleman, and it is our prayer that you would be seeking A Word from the Lord.